Hey folks, welcome. I'm Richard Krause. I am the doorman at the House of Krause today. It's ladies night, so I have to charge the guys 25 bucks a head to get in, but hey, ladies are free. So line up forms on the left. Two of the ladies for free that are here. Aubrey Plaza, she's an American actress and comedian. She was equal love gate on Parks and Recreation. She's been in a bunch of films. She was part of the Upright Citizens Brigade. And I had a great time talking to her about her career, about what she finds funny, and maybe what she doesn't find so funny. Great conversation, you'll wanna hear that. Also, Emily Blunt, she is starring in Sicario this week. Sicario, a great movie. If you haven't seen it, she plays an FBI agent who is teamed with an elite force of mercenaries led by Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro, and they're doing battle with the drug cartels around the border of Texas and Mexico. It's intense, it's kind of like the French Connection a little bit. There's moral ambiguity, there is tension, no happy endings for anybody. It's a terrific movie, and as always, she's terrific in it. And when I was watching that movie, I thought a little bit about a conversation that I'd had with her a few years ago for a movie called The Young Victoria. It's based on the early life and reign of Queen Victoria and her marriage to Prince Albert. It is a period piece, but it's not a masterpiece theater period piece. It's a, a live, vibrant look at a very much vibrant person, and Emily Blunt really brings her to life. So let's sit back, let's luxuriate in the sound of Emily Blunt's wonderful English accent as we talk about the young Victoria. When I think of Queen Victoria, I always think of the famous photograph where she's all dressed in black and mm -hmm. it's very, and um, I think of her as being very um, uh, uptight. I think of her as in mourning all the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. um, why don't we know more about the, what I guess is the real Victoria? I think that was the very reason why Sarah Ferguson came to Graham with the idea. Mm -hmm. She just said, this is an extraordinary story and it's, you know, and Julian Fellow spoke about it, you know, and no one knows about the passion and the love, everyone knows about the sour-faced lady wearing a hanky on her head and looking like she wants to, you know, top herself. And I think that it was really important to show that vibrancy that she had when she was younger. She was really the polar opposite, and so when Albert died after them having the most passionate marriage, a little piece of her, I think a lot of her died with him, actually, and that's why she mourned him so ferociously for the rest of her life. Well, it really struck me that it wasn't just that it was a romance, which it was, it was mm -hmm. one of sort of maybe the great romances in public life anyway, yeah. but also they were real, really partners as well, and mm. I guess business partners, you would yeah, call them. effectively, um, yeah. Yeah, tell me a little bit about what sort of research you would have had to do, uh, just sort of in, because again, this is something that I didn't know about. I mean, I didn't know that he had sort of essentially created like the sewer systems in London mm. and was an engineer and, and, and uh, really, you know, changed people's lives uh, mm. in, 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 in he ways did. He was the one, I mean, too. Albert was the one who effectively um, created Victoriana. Mm. I mean, he was the one who had been educated in social reform and architecture and all kinds of things. So um, I think he was very much Victoria's greatest achievement because um, I think without him it would have been a very different reign that she had. And... Um, I'm sure she would have made some more emotionally reckless decisions <laughs> without him to come in with that educated, number-crunching mind to kind of counteract her feistiness and, and in, instinctual emotion. And I think together they really neutraled each other out. And 
um, and they were, to speak in a very modern way, crazy about each other. Right. Well, it's, it's interesting uh, to see you turn from, you know, a 17, 18-year-old mm -hmm. girl in the in the movie. We, we follow you until you're about 20 or 21 probably in the film, do you mm -hmm, think? Or, mm -hmm. No, a bit it, older. I think, I think it kind of cuts at the end to three, probably when she's about 25, when the baby and, you know. Right, and we, and we see the leaving the clothes out yes, and things and the, yes. the little... Tubs of but that's only yeah. yeah. Um, but to see uh, one of the things that I, 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 I was grabbed by by this film was that it's a period piece that has a very modern sensibility, and what we're mm. seeing here is um, a young woman really coming into her own, mm. and mm. that's kind of you know beyond the history and beyond the the love story. That was the that was the story for me is to see this woman who is um, really coming into herself yeah. and makes some bad just bad but decisions. But she's a teenager, which people forget. And um, well, my, I guess what I was going to say mm. is that the, you know, at eighteen years old, you think you know everything. Yeah, you and do. And she learns in kind of you a do. difficult way. No, there's should. a kind of cavalier attitude that teenagers have, and a casual attitude towards saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. And um, and I honestly don't think because she grew up in a very oppressive, lonely way, away from the court and the social graces and etiquette, she um, she had no idea, actually, that she was doing or say, saying the wrong thing. There was an irreverence that she had towards it because she, you know, had led this, this very strange and um, sad childhood so she was very much trying to assert her power as soon as she came to that age after that steely patience she'd had to endure <laughs> for you know years with the mother and the walking down the stairs holding the hand I mean it's it's unimaginably lonely actually she, she wasn't allowed any friends she couldn't read books so she'd lived with the extreme of that um, ominous cloud and then to um, be allowed only to go to the opera or the ballet. So she led in it. She lived in it in extremes with that, and then she got to see beauty in in all its wonder, and you know, and her imagination would run wild. And so, I think that's why she very much also wanted to marry for love, and not because someone told her to. Partly out of a kind of teenage rebellious quality that she was like, "I'm not going to tell you. I'm not, I'm not going to do what you want me to do." Um, but I think that she was a forward thinker. She was a modern thinker for that time. She wasn't willing to conform to any constraints that people were telling her to. Well, I, no, I've read that. You uh, went to them and said, I want to be in this. No, Is they, that, I mean, no? They, they'd sent the script and I read it, but uh, I definitely made a real play for the part because I knew it would be one of those parts that people were going to hound, you know, because right. it was... It was so rare and it was so well written. Great gravitas. It's really it's it's hard to find that a film that's shouldered by a woman and a girl like that who was so remarkable and um, complex mm -hmm. and uh, with that amount of responsibility. And so um, I I did go in and met and meet them, and I just said I just love it, and I'm very aware that. A lot of other people do as well, but I'd like you to give me a chance. Um, now, when when you first met Jean Marc, uh, tell me a little bit because I think it's really interesting that they didn't go with uh, a European director mm. or an English director to make this movie because I and I think it's quite brilliant because he brings a whole new set of eyes to this. Yeah, he does yeah. a really fresh approach, and I think he was essential to making uh, this film come to life. 
uh, and not seem stuffy and arch, which grows a little tiring mm -hmm. with people, I think, and it, and, it, and, it, and it very easily distances people because they simply can't relate to it. Uh, so Jean-Marc was the one who wanted to approach this girl as the rebel rather than the queen. And I just thought, as soon as I met him, I thought, and, and he said that to me, and I thought, I love this guy, because he's, you know, he's he's actually intuitively trying to find out who she is, rather than, and what this love really is, and what really happens when people fall in love, rather than, you know, trying to conform to a set list of what should happen right. in a period film. Well, I really liked the, the build-up to the romance, mm. the letters, I mean, it was such a different time. You know, the, there's there obviously no email, no phones, no, so the, the letters and, and I mean, know, one so imagines. Romantic. Yeah, well, it totally Don't is. Don't you, you know? like getting a handwritten letter? Now? Uh, no, absolutely. You, you never you get just, them like, anymore. You never get them. Yeah, but and, but and you would imagine though that there could be weeks between communication. Yeah. So there's the, the where well, you're on edge, just yeah. the anticipation of getting that letter for sure. Yeah, and and the film does a really nice job, I think, of of, of showing that to us and mm. showing how. You know, she slowly comes to realize, and my take on it anyway, she slowly comes to realize that she can't do without him. She 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 actually can't be without him. Yeah. 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 Had you seen Crazy? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, what I met John Jean Marc, and I hadn't seen it, and then I saw it, and I was just blown away. I thought it was so. He's got such a great aesthetic, as well as being, um, you know, managing to capture family. Right. And that's really what this was about as well. It was about a family. So. Um, I thought crazy was, I mean, that first shot with the baby falling, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. I saw that shot and I thought, oh my God, <laughs> this guy's brilliant. Yeah. Well, the, the, thematically, the movies aren't... I too mean, dissimilar, too yeah. Too dissimilar. There's yeah, a lot going on there, which is why I think he's like such a great choice for this Yeah, material. he's perfect. Yeah. He's perfect. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, working, doing a period piece, because I guess, I mean, you have to learn how to walk differently, you have to learn yeah, how to I'm do everything. Yeah, I'm not a good, I tend to sort of bounce when I walk, and the <laughs> etiquette advisor said, you have to learn how to glide. So there would be two takes of me going like this before Alistair would be like, you just try and glide along. I said, I'm really bad at ice skating, and he was like, you've got to try. <laughs> I wonder how you get a job as an etiquette advisor. He actually got the job, it's not really his, um, well, actually it is, he, he does advise the royal family on historical etiquette. He works very closely with them and is friends with them. Holidays at Balmoral, so we couldn't have asked for like wow. a better guy. And he's such a fantastic man and the nicest man in the world, literally, and would be on set every day encouraging us to find the human side of the etiquette and rather than it being something that he'd read about, he's experienced it. He right. teaches it. Right. He was right. fantastic. I, we all loved Alistair Bruce. And I suppose uh, when you have to wear the, the clothes and the, the, the jewels and things that we see in the film, it helps sort of put the final piece in the puzzle. Yeah, Maybe I think that's you're... really transporting once yeah. you're in that. I mean, it does give you a certain poise and um, you feel like you're honouring that. and Because... Um, and they're beautiful. Mm. They were beautiful. Sandy Powell is such a queen of those, of, of period films. Right. And um, so I was very lucky with the number of dresses I got, <laughs> not only to wear them, yeah. Uh, did you shoot on real locations? I mean, some of it obviously mm. does too, but were you shooting in real locations? Hardly anything was in the studio. I mean, yeah. we shot at uh, Blenheim Palace and, uh, you know, Blenheim Palace is actually, there was, we shot the honeymoon 
scene there in the bedroom, and that's where Victoria had actually slept in that bed. Wow. It was really wow. amazing. But I did find that very helpful to be in those locations, and you're surrounded by the priceless paintings on the wall, and um, you're walking literally down corridors that kings and queens have walked down. And uh, it helps not walking off set and seeing the back of a polystyrene wall. You know, it's like, you're like, oh, well, that's not real. So I think it definitely helped us, you know. Emily Blunt, so much fun to talk to, so charming. If you haven't seen The Young Victoria, rent that and then go see Sicario this weekend. Next up is Aubrey Plaza. Aubrey Plaza is a familiar face from her time spent on Parks and Recreation, but she's also been in uh, loads of movies. But there's two things you have to know about Aubrey Plaza if you don't already. First, she was named after the song Aubrey by Bread. And secondly, she suffered a stroke that caused temporary paralysis, uh, but she has fully recovered. And she's fully recovered uh, to go on and appear in all sorts of uh, films like The To-Do List, uh, The Necessary Death of Charlie Countryman, Monsters University, Life After Beth, which is a great kind of rom-com zombie movie, I guess a zomcom, uh, but it's good stuff. Check that out. Playing it cool. She's also got a bunch of movies coming out like Dirty Grandpa and Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. Look for those. But right now, let's just find out a little bit more about Aubrey Plaza. Are you careful in the cinema, I mean, you must be, but is that one of the things that you look to when you get a, a stack of scripts and you've got a stack of scripts this high and you're having I've a look? I've never had a stack of scripts that high. <laughs> I hope the I, day I comes. I think you're lying to me. You're I am lying. not. I've <laughs> never had this. Never, 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 because never. I have a little high. baby stack. A little baby stack yeah. of scripts. Um, but you go through them and, and you must get offered a variety, a wide variety of things. And some things do you just look at and go, Maybe this is more suited for a broader style of comedy or something that I, you know, something that's um, a little different than the thing that I do. Uh, well, first of all, you know, I don't have a great perspective on myself and the thing that I do. So I'm not, I don't look at scripts in that way, but, but there have been times that I've read things that felt wrong to me. I right. mean, but for so many reasons, most scripts I read feel wrong to me just because they're not good, but, um... <laughs> But I don't, yeah, I don't, it, I, I, I tend to think the opposite if there's something in a, in a part that feels foreign to me or feels like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. Those are usually the ones that I want to do because I tend to try to do things that are scary to me because... Otherwise, you know, I'll, I just get offered the same thing over and over again, and that's who wants to see that, yeah. except for everyone, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, it's true, right? And this is when you look around at the careers that people build for themselves, and, you know, as an outsider, I can look at them and go, ah, this person's made four rom-coms in a row, and, you know, that's what they're going to be now. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that's what you're trying to avoid. <laughs> I just, um... I don't even go, I don't even operate from a place of like trying to avoid anything. It's more like I just want to keep moving forward and um, I just, I don't know. I just want to like do do interesting things. Maybe uh, it is when you say that you don't have a great perspective on what you do. I think that's what you said. Maybe it's better not to overthink it. 
you know what I mean? Like not think too much about what it is that you do because then it goes away if you overthink it or it becomes too mannered or something like that. Um, yeah, well, I'm not very smart to begin with, so I can't overthink anything really. If I'm thinking about I, something, that's a big deal for me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I know what you mean, but like it's just, it's people just project all sorts of things right. onto onto actors, so... There was a moment early on when that was really frustrating to me, and I would always be like, "What do you mean deadpan? I've never, I yeah. don't even know what that means." And then, and now I'm like, "Oh well, whatever. People just wanna, they they wanna you to be what they want right. you to be. Right. So you can't control anything." And really. it probably says more about them than it does about you. Sure. Yeah. I, mean, I like make believe, which right. is why I like movies. And like making them. And like making them, and like making people believe that I am good at that. <laughs> yeah. Because I. Did you? Yeah. I mean, you've been doing this for for a long time. Did you ever think that you would have that this kind of career? Um. No. Yeah. I well, me. You know, I'm not gonna lie and say I didn't have like grand delusions when I was like younger. You know, <laughs> like I think every person that becomes successful in whatever field I feel like at one point they really had to believe that they were going to do it because I don't think you can do many things if you don't really believe that you can do it or that it's going to happen so I did at one point believe that it would happen but but I also didn't believe it right and well, I had no idea what would happen to me yeah. I don't know well it seems I mean it, it, it it's a life that until you have it or until it happens you can't really imagine what it's like, right? Yeah. yeah. No, you, you know. Being on a television show, making movies, that kind of thing, it doesn't seem yeah, real. Yeah, being on the television shows was, is actually, I have to say, like, I always had really big dreams about being in movies, right. um, but I never thought about being on a TV show. Yeah. That was That's something that even to this day, we're in season seven and I show up, and I'm like, what am I doing here? I can't even believe this is my job. It's so weird. Um, so that was that's something that I'm still like wrapping my head around. When you were younger, I guess you did you look to people? Did you look at so and so and say, ah, that, that's a cool job. That's what I would like to do. Was there oh yeah. yeah, so many, so many people. Um, I was obsessed with Saturday Night Live. So all of the cast members on that show, I was. You know, all especially the female cast members, like um, the generation that I w watched it, it was like Molly Shannon and Ani Gasteyer and Amy Poehler and Tina Fey and all of those women. I was like, that's what I want to be like, and um, and actresses too. I was, I had really weird taste though when I was little. I was really into like Judy Garland, Bette Midler, and like I had like a sophisticated right. like gay man's taste. <laughs> at an early age so I was really like just like a you know I was like a gay man right. and I just wanted to be like Judy Garland yeah. I don't know <laughs> well you're looking very like this is something Judy might have worn <gasps> do you I think? think I think so oh cool I think so it's fantastic oh thanks yeah. um it, is it uh still I mean Amy Poehler blows my mind every time I see her she does something different something funny there's something that is really interestingly unique about her so does, does it still because she was one of your Saturday Night Live idols seeing her every day or what you know most days at work uh, are you still in awe 
the magic is gone. Guys, you know, she's just she's just an ordinary <laughs> old. She no, she really is a. She is just a freak of nature. Yeah. I mean, she is like she's always the funniest person in the room. Um, she's the nicest person in the room. She's so respectful and grounded. And I don't know what her parents <laughs> fed her for breakfast every day, but she really is special. And I never forget it. We're very close friends, and and I you can't forget it when you're around her. She's just like a glowing orb of light. Well, that's it for Ladies' Night at the House of Krauss. I think it was a big success. I imagine that we're going to have to do this again. But right now, it's over. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. The doors are shutting. Don't let them hit me on the bum on the way out. My thanks to Emily Blunt. My thanks to Aubrey Plaza. But most of all, my thanks to you for coming by and spending a little time at the House of Krauss. Be sure to stop in every Monday. You never know who's going to stop by for a visit. <laughs>